Uh, in about 20 minutes, we're going to eat and drink together around this table. And very often, as we approach communion, whoever is, is leading the service will invite us to take a moment to confess our sins. And either we'll do that silently, we'll do it quietly, we'll do it internally, or else we'll read a general prayer of confession audibly together like this one that's on the screen. But what if I asked us or asked you to do something a little different this morning? That alongside personal confession before God, which is essential, I also invited you to turn round and confess your sins to one another. Hey, some of you smiling at me. Some of you are looking daggers at me. But what if, in addition to taking a couple of moments before communion to tell God about those things that you've thought and said and done this week or in the past 24 hours that you're kind of ashamed of, that you know we're wrong, that you know need to be kind of identified, they need to be named this morning before you eat and drink. But what if you also confessed your specific sins to one or two other people today. Now don't worry, I'm not actually going to ask you to do that. But as we continue this one another series, it is this particular command that I want us to look at together. Confess your sins to one another. It, it comes from James five sixteen. Although whenever you turn to that text, and some of you already are doing that, but whenever you turn to it, you quickly discover that it doesn't just stand alone. It accompanies the need to pray for one another, as Ruth has already mentioned. And so here is that verse from James 5.16. It's on the screen. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. Now, three weeks ago, I, I summarized this entire series in three words, okay? So who can remember my three-word sermon from two weeks ago? Somebody, please. <laughs> yep, love one another. And we looked at the fact that just before Jesus left his disciples to go back to be with his father, or just before he faced the cross as well, he commanded them, didn't just suggest this, didn't say this was a good idea. He commanded them and subsequently us to do this. This was how his disciples were to relate to one another from here on in. Love one another. And he made the point that it would be by their love for one another that others would realize who they were it would actually clarify their identity. And so Jesus said, by this, by your love for one another, everyone, watching world, people around you in your community, people you work with, will know that you are my disciples. Which is why Francis Schaeffer described this as the ultimate apologetic because whenever Christians love one another, it communicates powerfully. 
Below one another is, if you like, the umbrella command. It's the non-negotiable requirement of every disciple of Jesus Christ. We want to explore during this series, well, what does that actually mean? Okay, love one another, but what does that look like? What does that look like in the flesh? What does that look like day by day in a local church? And that's where these one another passages come in, which are scattered right throughout the New Testament. They explain, they uncover, they reveal what it looks like to love one another in a local context. And so last week, Jonathan dealt with the need or the command to forgive one another, the last on that list. And I know lots of you found what Jonathan shared from God's word incredibly helpful and really challenging. In fact, lots of you want them to speak far more often. It's great. Today, it's these two one another's that I want us to look at. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. Now, of all those one another's that are on that screen, I want to suggest that this one is quite possibly the most overlooked, the most avoided most ignored, or at least the confession dimension is. I don't know if you think that's a fair comment, a fair assumption, and the question is, why is that? Why? See, if I look down that list, and I think, well, when was the last time I served, forgave, taught, encouraged, or accepted another Christian? I reckon I might be able to recall or point to a few recent occasions. But when was the last time I honestly and humbly confessed my sins to another Christian? See, that's a different matter. Because I stand before you this morning and would say I'd really struggle to remember the last time I did that. What about you? When was the last time you confessed your sins to another Christian? See, in terms of the one another's, I think we get the rest of them a little easier. I'm not saying they're easy, but I think we get them a little easier. Whereas with this one, there seems to be a certain degree of hesitation. And and one of I can kind of sense that already this morning. So there's a wee bit of hesitation, a wee bit of nervousness, a wee bit of concern. For some people, this kind of confession sounds dangerous. That this is risky. This could become very messy. This might be like opening a can of worms. And so lots of us have immediate and niggling questions like, well, okay, David, how often should we do this? How much detail, how much information do we confess? How many people does this involve? I mean, should there be a slot in our services whenever people can come up here and confess their sins to one another? Is this confessing your sins to others not a bit of a ritualized practice in certain other traditions? And we don't do that. 
I think all of those questions and others exist and rise to the surface whenever you begin to tease this particular one another out. Now, I'm not going to answer all those questions. I, I never do. <laughs> I never answer very many questions, some people would say. But I'm not going to answer every question. I'm not going to address all your concerns. But I do want us to engage with this specific command. And I do want us to consider how might it become a feature of our discipleship in life as a local church. Because I don't believe you can just gloss over it. I don't believe you can kind of just duck it. And you can look down the list of one another's and go, yep, like that one, like that one, like that one. Well, I think we'll just leave that one. And we'll pick up in the next one. Now, in terms of context, I do want to set these two one another's in context. I know some of you are thinking that because they come, if you know God's word and you know James 5 particularly, they come at the end of a series of injunctions given by James, by the apostle, to his readers. If you have a Bible, please do turn to James chapter 5. It's page 1216 in the Red Pew Bibles, if you do want to look this up. And I'm just going to read from verses 13 to 16. And what we normally do here at Windsor, and I hope it's okay, uh, and so if you are able, could I invite you to stand for the public reading of God's word. Is any among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make them well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Now, I'm, I'm not going to unpack those verses phrase by phrase, line by line. But some people, whenever they read that little section, they immediately assume that you only need to confess your sins to one another whenever you are praying for or whenever you are seeking prayer for physical healing from sickness. But that strikes me, and I know it strikes many others, as a little too restrictive. That kind of narrows James' teaching down just a little too much. James 5, 16 is generally accepted to be a more broad or have a more broad application than just that. Because all of us need healing. All of us need wholeness at all kinds of levels. And therefore, this one another is relevant to all of us in Christian community and not just to those who are seeking physical healing. We need to be healed. If you just take for an example, Isaiah 53 says, by his wounds we are healed. By his wounds we are healed. And we know that that speaks of the suffering servant, which speaks of the death of Christ. But whenever Christ died on the cross for each one of us, it was for more than our physical healing. It was for our spiritual healing from the damaging effects that sin has on our lives, that Jesus died on that cross in order to heal us. All of us need wholeness. Therefore, confess your sins to one another. 
Pray for one another so that you may be healed. Healed in the widest sense. So the question is, what might this particular practice look like within a loving church community? And what are some of the misconceptions that need to be acknowledged? Because it is a tricky one. And because it is a tricky one, many people do kind of avoid it and duck it and gloss over it. Well, let me begin by making a couple of really obvious points, but they still need to be made. And the first is this. That this one another confession is different from personal confession before God. It does not take its place. Whenever we mess up, whenever I get it wrong, whenever we sin, we absolutely need to come before God individually in private confession. Sin offends a holy God. Sin disrupts our relationship with him. Yes, others are affected. Others are impacted. But ultimately, all sin is against God. Against you and you only have I sinned is what David prayed in Psalm 51. Even though we all know that David wrecked so many lives in the process. But whenever he was praying, he said, against you, God, and you alone have I sinned. And so confessing our sin to one another never, ever takes the place of personal confession. Secondly, forgiveness does not depend on us confessing our sins to one another. God is faithful. God is just. God forgives irrespective of whether or not we confess our sins to another Christian. But having said that, I actually believe it's not a case of either or. Let me be a little bit provocative. It's not a case of either or, but rather it's both and. We do have one mediator between us and God, and that is Christ Jesus. We must go through Jesus to God in order to be forgiven for our sins. But James 5, 16, therefore confess your sins to one another. And pray for one another so that you'll be healed. So it's not either, it's not or. It's both and. Certain traditions may have skewed this. Certain traditions may have overemphasized it. They may have got the whole confession of sin to others out of sync and out of perspective. But you could also argue that in reacting to that error, in reacting to that mistake, we have somehow thrown the baby out with the bathwater. And effectively, we have jettisoned the need and the call and the command to confess our sins to anyone else. And therefore, we keep quiet about our struggles. And we buy into a kind of privacy about sin that paralyzes our faith and damages our integrity within a faith community. So we just keep it under wraps. So one another confession is different from personal confession. It is not a prerequisite to God's forgiveness, but it is still worth pursuing and practicing in a local church. The question is, why? Why? Why would we choose to engage with this corporate discipline? It's not just a personal discipline. It's a corporate discipline. Well, I think there are a number of reasons. 
and a number of benefits. For example, it fosters and it promotes accountability. You see, whenever you are honest, whenever you're open with one another about your struggles, about your weaknesses, about those areas of your life where you're vulnerable to temptation and compromise, whenever you are open and honest with others, you allow them to journey with you. You allow another Christian brother or sister to speak into your life, to support you in the discipleship process. We were never meant to do the Christian life on our own. Back to week one. Yes, we are members of one body, the body of Christ. But as Romans 12, 5 tells us, we are members of one another. We are interconnected. We belong to each other. We journey together. We are fellow pilgrims. We're here to help one another. So whenever we are open and honest, we allow people to speak into our lives, to journey with us. But maybe more importantly, and this is why I believe these two one another's are meshed together here in James 5. But whenever we confess our sins to one another, we are then able to pray more intelligently and specifically for one another. You see, whenever I confess my sin to another Christian, I equip and I empower them to pray into my life where it matters. Here's Here's what I'm struggling with at the moment. If I'm honest with another Christian about that, I know that they can then pray for me specifically rather than generally. And I appreciate their general prayers, but I need some people to stand with me, pray with me. And I reckon all of us do. And in addition, and this flows from what what I've just said there, but having confessed my sin to another person, I then effectively give them permission to come back and ask me, well, listen, How are you getting on within that area? How are you handling that issue? And if nothing else, that helps me stay sensitive to that particular sin because I know that somebody else knows. I've brought it out into the light. I'm attempting to walk in the light. And so somebody else knows. Somebody else is praying for me and will pick up with me on this. So it promotes accountability. Secondly, it also ensures that we don't hide behind masks. That we don't conceal the reality of what's going on in our lives. That we don't opt for living behind a facade. It's so easy to put up a front. So easy. And never be honest with one another about our sins. But the danger is that we give the impression to those around us that we don't struggle. That we don't need one another. And therefore lots of us come to church sometimes and we think, you know something? Everybody else is sorted except me. Confession drops the mask. It eradicates the pretense. It reminds us that we're in this together. It reminds us that we actually belong to the fellowship of sinners. Richard Foster, in his classic book, and I know many of you have read it, Celebration of Discipline. And if you haven't read it, could I urge you to get a copy of Celebration of Discipline and read it. Lent starts this week. Make that a Lent project. Read Celebration of Discipline. But in that book, he writes this. 
That's a big quote in the screen. You just need to listen, that's fine. Confession is so difficult a discipline for us, partly because we view the believing community as a fellowship of saints before we see it as a fellowship of sinners. Now, we are a fellowship of saints, but we're also a fellowship of sinners. We come to feel that everyone else has advanced so far into holiness that we are isolated, that we are alone in our sin. We could not bear to reveal our failures and shortcomings to others. But if we know that the people of God are first a fellowship of sinners, we are freed to hear the unconditional call of God's love and to confess our needs openly before our brothers and sisters. We know that we're not alone in our sin. The fear and pride which cling to us like barnacles cling to others also. In acts of mutual confession, we release the power that heals. Dietrich Bonhoeffer expresses it like this in his book, Life Together, which explores what does, what does living in faith in a faith community actually look like? Here's what he says. We must confess our sins in the presence of a brother or sister in Christ. Confession makes us sinners before one another. It breaks us of our self-righteousness and enables us to become a fellowship of sinners. Thus, we become the church that is founded on Christ's righteousness, not our own. I've said this before, we are saints, but we are saints who still happen to sin. At least that's my story. That's my story. Bonhoeffer went as far as to say that mutual confession is the breakthrough to fellowship. It's the breakthrough to fellowship. Not sure if I put it as strongly as that. It's a powerful thought. So the second reason for pursuing this one another is that it keeps us real. It keeps us honest before one another. The masks are off. You see, honesty leads to confession and confession leads to change. Final reason. The final benefit that I want to highlight for confessing our sin to one another is that it can often help us to tangibly experience God's forgiveness. Let me say this really carefully. It almost helps it become more real and palpable. I've already made the point that our personal forgiveness from God is not and never dependent upon us confessing our sins to one another. That's not the way it works. If we confess our sin to God, he forgives us, end off, full stop. No question about it. But sometimes the process of confessing our sins to one another before God consolidates and earths the forgiveness. You could argue that David really only experienced the cleansing power of God's forgiveness whenever he confessed to sin, yes, before God, but also before Nathan. The prophet who encouraged him to honestly face up to his sin. You see, there is something potentially liberating about confessing your sin to another Christian but actually bringing it out into the light and then having them pray for us and assure us of God's forgiveness. You know, sometimes whenever we keep this to ourselves, whenever we make it a purely private matter between us and God, and I know this from speaking to so many people down through the years, but whenever we keep this as a private matter between us and God, there is a tendency sometimes to doubt, to question, to wonder, am I really forgiven? Whereas whenever I confess my sins to another Christian, 
that can really help it to become experiential. One writer puts it like this. God has given us our brothers and sisters to make God's presence and forgiveness real to us. It is through the voice of our brothers and sisters that the word of forgiveness is heard and takes root in our lives. And so this one another of Christian community, it promotes accountability. It encourages us to be honest and it grounds our forgiveness. But, nearly done. Despite all of these reasons and benefits, there is no doubt that it remains one of the least practiced and embraced one another's. And even in light of having looked at it in a little more detail this morning, some of us are, are still uncomfortable with the idea of it. does seem a little outside of our comfort zones. A little risky. But as Gerald Sitzer writes in his book on the one another's of all the mutuality, mutuality commands, confession and prayer pose the greatest risk to ourselves and perhaps the greatest hope for our church to become a loving community. Well, that's for us, that's for you and me to decide. But let me just say a few practical things that I need to say to go along with this, and, and, and these might address some of your queries or concerns. I am not for one moment suggesting or advocating a public slot in services for one another confession. Please don't think I'm never going back to that church because there's going to come a Sunday where someone's going to say, right, if you want to, that's not going to happen, okay? I'm not even thinking that it would be a good idea to encourage everyone this week to go to their fellowship groups and confess their sins to one another. Not saying that either. But I do think it is important, and, and I will say this, I do think it is important that we identify and have one or two others or a small group we can engage with at this level. I really do. And I'm kind of going to leave that with you as a challenge. And Richard Foster recommends that the kind of people you're looking for are those with spiritual maturity, wisdom, compassion, good common sense, an ability to keep a confidence, and a wholesome sense of humor. Right? That's the kind of people you're looking for. Spiritually mature, wise, compassionate, good common sense, ability to keep a confidence, good sense of humor. We need to be wise. We need to be careful. We need to be selective. But the critical thing is we need to do it. And if it's not a feature of our Christian discipleship, let me encourage you to take this one another away and consider it further. Pray about it. Reflect on some of what I've shared. Pray, who could I share with at that level? Who could I confess my sins to and pray with? But as I finish, I do want to say something about the importance of praying for one another, which I know in some ways should be a completely separate sermon in itself. And as we've noticed here in James 5, that alongside the confession must come the praying. And remember, although this or the preceding context is, is specifically about physical sickness. Verse 16, I've said, has a more general application that includes healing from the power and damage of sin. And so praying for one another, according to James, is about coming before God and praying that those around us 
our church family, our immediate family, our friends, that they would be spared from the damaging effects of sin, that they would make good choices when it comes to temptation, that they would put on the full armor of God in order that they would be protected, that they would throw off the sin that so easily entangles Pray for one another that they would stay focused and run this race with their eyes fixed on Jesus. It's so important that we pray for one another in a local church because prayer is perhaps the greatest service we can render our fellow believers. And throughout the New Testament, time and time again, it doesn't just appear in James 5, we're urged to do this. Pray for everyone you know in every way you can, is how one writer puts it. Pray for our brothers and sisters. And Paul would often say, I've never stopped praying for you. Pray for one another. It's a privilege. It's an act of service. And this morning in in the pews should be a little flyer. And I forgot the left one. Could somebody pass me one? Thanks, Rob. Have a wee look around to see if if you can find one of these that has at the top Windsor Baptist Church praying for each other. This is not the final version of our prayer digest for 2013. Hence, it says draft on it. But each year, Roy produces this to encourage us to pray for one another throughout the month. So lots of you who are here this morning are in here. And so right throughout the month, we as a church are encouraged to pray for one another, but there's lots of you who are not in here. And we don't want to exclude anyone. So if you look at this and you're not in here, could I urge you to speak to Roy after the service and he will add you in just to ensure, now, if, even if you've been coming for a few weeks, right? if you never intend to be here again, it's probably better you don't. Okay, add your name to this. And after hearing me this morning, you might never intend to be here again. But if you are pretty regular here at Windsor, can I encourage you to make sure your name's in this so that we can pray for one. It's just one tool in that process because it is our desire to be a loving community and we believe that part of being a loving community means praying for one another. So my hope and prayer is that we'll leave here this morning with a renewed commitment to pray for one another, but maybe my real desire out of today is this, that we would honestly, prayerfully, before God, consider who might I confess my sins to and pray with and for this week. That's the challenge I'm leaving us with today. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for one another. I want to thank you for fellow pilgrims on this journey. I want to thank you for brothers and sisters in God's family. I want to thank you that we are members of one another, that we belong to each other because we are part of the body of Christ. And we need each other. And I confess, God, that so often I try to do this alone. And yet you've called us in the community. We are interconnected. And so help us and continually teach us to love one another, to forgive one another, and to confess our sins to one another and pray for one another. And through doing that, may a watching world know that we are Christ's disciples. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.